Hi there, and welcome to episode two of the V Files. <laughs> so this um, this is a uh, one of the the newer sort of sub shows. I don't know what we're calling these. Um, a veterinary journal club where uh, essentially I think about um, interesting or uh, particularly cool cases. I don't know um, cases uh, that I've seen in the recent days, weeks, actual um, cases, real cases. Yep. Actual things that I've seen by real doctors. Um, and then we're going to talk about them. And for now, um, it's just me and Topher, Topher asking questions. Um, but I would like to turn this into a thing where other people bring fun cases of their own, um, or their cases I bring. Yeah. Yeah. And we get to collaborate with other other people. Yeah. Specialists and things like this. Um, so yeah, episode two of the V files. What's it about? Um, so we're going to talk about uh, a cat who Talked tried to die. Talked about a dog die. last time. Yeah, so you know we're really mixing it up here. Um, so this is just the case that jumps into my head because I put a lot of um, time, thought, and effort into this one this week. And um, so this was, a, I think, a 13-year-old uh, female spade domestic short-haired cat who um, over the previous several months, the owners noticed... Um, sort of an enlargement, a, you know, a swelling, I guess, in her abdominal area. At first they thought she was just getting fatter because she's kind of a chubby cat. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, I guess she's gaining more weight. And then they were like, that seems a little lopsided. I'm editorializing a little bit. But, um, and then like she was having a hard time getting around. And so they took her in to like get it checked out. And I was like, oh, there's a mass there. Um, was it a tumor? It's a tumor. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, I don't know. I don't know what kind yet. Um, so maybe we'll, we'll circle back to this later when we get um, histopath results. So but anyway, we're jumping ahead. Tumors? Yes. I'll, like, All right. We'll come back to it. When yeah. You like so many different. Like, so I guess you could break tumor is such a vague term. Tumor just sort of means like a mass, a lump, a okay. bump. That's all tumor means. Yeah. Um, usually when we say it, we're thinking cancer, but it doesn't have to be. Um, or I guess it doesn't have to be malignant. So tumor is kind of just a general term. Are they usually made of the same stuff? Is it like no. can a fluid thing be a tumor? Or does um, it have to usually be Usually we would call that like a, a cyst. So I think that a tumor is a nice vague, broad term. They mean like a lump of tissue. Okay. And tissue could be anything. So, but it's not like... It could have bits of fluid in it, yeah. but like, no, there's nothing specific about it. Like, it, it could be virtually Isn't anything. It, I think I saw a thing that's like, tumors can have like hair or <laughs> teeth or stuff in yeah, them. Yeah, that's a that very a specific kind of tumor called a teratoma. Yeah. Um, yes, that is a thing. It's incredibly rare. Um, they're pretty funky when it happens. Yeah, not but, so rare that I haven't heard about. Well, I mean, you hear about things when they're like really wonky, like there's teeth in my tumor. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I, pff, I have to re- reach back into the memory cells here, but it's like some sort of um, residual cells from when you were developing, mm-hmm. essentially. So they're like stem cells, essentially, that can become anything. And then they turn into almost a, a creature. <laughs> it's really uncommon. Um, I shouldn't say it's... It's pretty uncommon. Teratomas are not as uncommon as having like like recognizable teeth and hair. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could have a teratoma and it's just like a lump of useless to, you know, tissue that you're like, I don't know what that is. But it, like every once in a while, it's like, that's a tooth. That's an yeah. actual tooth. Probably what is it doing like there? Ripley's Believe It or Not or something. Yeah, yeah, that would be a th- That would definitely be a place you would see it. But it is a real thing called a teratoma. Woohoo. Um, anyway. But a tumor could be all sorts of, it could be a lump of cancerous tissue, a lump of like benign cancerous tissue, which is technically still cancer, mm-hmm. but like a lump of tissue that's not supposed to be there. What about the, what I've seen on the, there's that, the pimple popping lady. 
Oh. She has the, some of the stuff she the, does is probably li- tumors. What is it? Lipoma. Lipoma is that yeah, a tumor? Yeah, it is a tumor. Yeah, it's and just, just it's fat. a benign fatty tumor. Yep. Um, so yeah, tumor could you could use the term tumor and that would be appropriate. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, I suppose maybe somebody somewhere has like a proper definition. It's like no, a tumor only means that. I don't know. People use it to mean a lump, a yeah. bump, a mass. Cool. This particular cat's tumor. No, we got a little astray there. Um, uh-huh. Took up. A pun? It, it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> this this was not a stray cat. <laughs> um, but at any rate, uh, it was a massive, massive mass tumor, lump, bump. Um, so this cat ended up having a CT scan, which was pretty impressive, actually. And the tumor sort of is in the retroperitoneal space, which is like the area around the kidney, kind of like a mm-hmm. little pretend space it's not pretend it's a real thing but it's uh, anyway um in the retroperitoneal space was where the tumor seemed to start but it just like smushed everything around and like was up against the the spine on the muscles and the body walls pushing everything off to the side it was a huge tumor um this cat weighed 7.8 kilograms before surgery or sorry 6.8 kilograms before surgery and weighed uh like 5.8 kilograms after surgery it was a one kilogram mass so um that would be let's see let's do the equivalent of me i don't know gaining like 40 pounds i don't how much i don't i'd have to do that math in my head um something <laughs> so about like, a, a seventh lot. its weight and you weigh how much 150 oh you said it. Everybody knows. i don't know yeah that's what i weigh so um, seventh of that divided by seven that's like like 20 pounds 30 pounds that's a big mass yeah, yeah that's a great weight loss plan <laughs> That's probably what my problem is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just need to get this tumor removed. Anyway, so this cat had this massive, massive tumor. And our surgeons, um, our surgical oncologists, who are pretty awesome, um, they were able to get the bulk of the tumor out. And it was just like mush, gelatinous, good, not mush. But um, it was not a very vascular tumor. It didn't have a lot of blood supply to it, which is a nice thing. And it's also partly why it was able to get that big because it doesn't require a lot of blood supply to mm-hmm. grow and things like that. But um, we still don't know what it was. Not 100% sure even where it was coming from, like what tissue, what the tissue of origin was, which is um, pretty, it's, it's uncommon that that would happen after like getting a CT scan. But so they took it is out. Is a CT and, scan what you normally use for things like that or do you do yeah, something else? that'd be pretty typical. So a CT scan is essentially three-dimensional x-rays. Mm-hmm. So you get lots and lots and lots of x-rays and then you put them together. Three-dimensional into 3D. radiographs. Oh, look at you using right. fancy terminology. Yes, that's correct. Wave. Oh, God, you sound like a radiologist. Yes, that's true. <laughs> I was trying to be nice to you and not use all my medical jargon. But yes, three-dimensional radiographs. Thank you for that. I just um, know because they correct you. Well, I also knew that because I know yeah. physics. But Yeah, no, x-rays are not technically what you're making. The film is, which it's not even a film anymore because it's all digital and blah, blah, blah. You keep sending me astray. <laughs> um, okay, so... Massive mass. That you don't know what it saying. is. We don't know what it is. It's a surprise. We'll find out later. Um, but they removed the bulk of it, but then there were still like remnants of it behind. And so they spent quite a lot of time like peeling and like scraping away this tumor to try to get rid of as much of it as possible. Um, what do they but, do? Do they do they scrape it away or do they have like a little vacuum thing? Or um, I mean, I wasn't in the surgery, but they usually have like suction. So for like okay, bits yeah. of stray bits of things like that. But yeah, like they're kind of scraping it away, like using probably a combination of what's called blunt and sharp dissection. So blunt dissection, meaning using something that has 
has a blunt end and like pushing, like trying to pull the tissue away. Mm -hmm. Um, But sometimes if it's really adhered, you have to use sharp dissection and use like a knife or a scalpel to try to cut things away. But more blunt dissection is better because then you're not going to inadvertently cut like a blood vessel that you might want. Um, So I wasn't in the surgery, but um, that's how the surgeon described it was like peeling it away. Um, And so she spent a lot of time doing that. So the cat was under anesthesia for a good while i think it was like six hours mm-hmm. um and is someone did, working on it that whole time what do you mean like that is in there peeling stuff away yeah. for six hours yeah yeah, that's yeah. i mean the six hours includes the time from like when the anesthetist like knocks the cat out gets it under anesthesia preps it does all the things they have to clip the fur they have to get it in position so the entire time is there a surgeon inside the cat no but the majority of yeah. the time yes because then you got to close everything up afterwards. But yeah, the majority of the time there is a surgeon working. It's like that's a long day for a surgeon yeah. um, for that one surgery. How long would something like that normally take if it was like an easy? Is it just as fast as it is on the, the pimple popping doctor? Is God, it just like, no, just no. Like, well, this was on the inside. This was on the inside of the yeah. cat's belly. So that already takes longer. It's not, this is not like pimping, pimping, a, <laughs> popping a pimple or pimping a popple. Yeah. It's not like either of those things. Um, but... There was nothing really normal about this. This is like a pretty atypical mass. Um, Mm -hmm. One, you don't know where it's coming from. And um, two, that again, they were, they were debulking the mass. They weren't removing it with getting margins. If you think something could be cancer, you try to get the tissue around it to make sure that you got all the cancer. This wasn't one of those operative, like you couldn't remove the cat's spine. I mean, I guess you could, but I feel like the owners would be unhappy with the outcome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so they're peeling away, getting rid of as much of this tumor as they possibly can, um, helping the cat lose weight in the process. The anesthesia seemed like it was going okay. This is what was reported to me. It was going okay. They did have to have the cat on dopamine, which is a blood pressure supporting agent, so a presser. Um, But it was under anesthesia for a long time. That's not that uncommon. Um, So... Got out of surgery. The surgeons called and were telling me what was going on. And it was like, this cat is taking a really long time to recover. Um, Like she's not waking up from anesthesia. And as they're monitoring her in the post-op period, they're also like, her blood pressure is not very good. And long story short, they end up, they transfer her to the ICU um, after finally getting her extubated. But at this point, I've consulted with them and now she's on two pressors. So she's on dopamine, which is pretty typical when they're under anesthesia. Um, dopamine's a, not typical, but and what it's, do you it's, mean by not waking up? Like, is it the meaning the cat is in still, a coma? Or? Yes, it's in a coma. Yeah. It's in a coma. Um, so, which, yeah, it's, it's in a coma. The question is why? Mm. Why is it in Is it in a coma because it doesn't have enough blood flow to its brain to wake up? Is it in a coma because there's a bunch of residual drugs still in the system and these were many of the questions that we were in fact asking um late into the evening trying to figure out what the heck was going on with this cat so um i talked to them i was like if the pressures still seem like they're crummy um maybe we can start a second presser um so we started the cat on norepinephrine or they started the cat on norepinephrine and then they got the cat into the ICU um, and we're trying to get things situated. It just wasn't going well. So I ended up coming back in. It was late at night. And I, um, I came in so I could put my hands on the cat and see what was going on and try to consult. And like I, I couldn't even feel this cat's pulses. I couldn't feel dorsal pedal pulses, which is not that unusual if they're not doing great. But I couldn't even feel the cat's femoral pulses, like in the, the large artery in the, um, in the leg, which is where I typically your go-to where you feel pulses. I couldn't feel them in this cat. And I was like, that's not great. Um, so basically we're trying to like troubleshoot and figure out like, 
why is this cat doing so poorly? What is going on? And talking to the surgeons, there was minimal blood loss at surgery because it wasn't a very vascular tumor. Um, They spent a long time under anesthesia, but like they really just felt like there weren't any major complications. Sometimes when you have a big mass in the abdomen or tumor of some kind that's like putting pressure on vessels, um, when you take it out, there's a sudden change in um, pressures in the the cavity. It's like everything kind of, there's that big hole now that everything kind of needs to readjust right but that should have happened right away like that usually happens right away um where all the blood comes rushing you know into the vena cava which is a big vein um and that means it's not in arteries so that can be a problem but the body usually adjusts pretty quickly and that they didn't observe that happening um i guess that's a question i do what do they how do they so you don't just close up the animal and then there's air in there or something how like how do they yeah, there's some air in there you try not to so usually what they'll do is like what do you um, fill it back up with if anything or how do you you don't actually do you, do you, so like you, you want it to the, not yeah so what they'll do a lot of times what surgeons will do um is they'll keep um a suction tube in the belly as they're closing so mm-hmm. like as they're closing so you're going to leave a little bit of fluid and a little bit of air in there yeah. and the body will resorb that but you don't want to leave it really gas right. distended it's actually rather uncomfortable you'll absorb that over time too but you try to get rid of as much of it as you can so what i've seen surgeons do is they're you know flushing everything out getting rid of it um getting rid of as much air but like the air you can't really squeeze out mm-hmm. um so it depends on the situation this would be a situation where there's more space in the belly than you need now right where sometimes it's the other way around like yeah yeah so sometimes it's actually like the opposite is the problem where um things have readjusted and you're actually trying to shove everything back in and Mm. it's hard to close over it um so this is a little bit unique in that regard but um so what they'll do is they'll close the different layers in in the main um, body wall layer as they're closing it up they leave the um the a suction tube in there as long as they possibly can. And then they, when they go to close it, they remove that at the last second to leave as little mm-hmm. um, leftover fluid and air as possible. Um, so yeah, you create essentially a vacuum. Cool. Um, yeah. So you don't want to leave a lot of stuff sloshing right. around in there. Um, you know, it, all that movement will, um, the body will start to form fluid and blah, blah, blah. It, it's not the end of the world, but it's probably rather uncomfortable as well. Mm-hmm. Like people who have endoscopy procedures where they insufflate, they, they actually push, carbon dioxide into the belly so that they can see um and the people say it was really uncomfortable oh yeah i have a story about that oh. for later when we're off air oh wow man there's a bunch of people right now that are really disappointed that yeah, you're not sharing this oh that sounds like a whole nother show okay i'll try to find out guys and i'll i'll let you know mm-hmm. um i don't remember what we were saying now i'm distracted by this story that i want to hear <laughs> Um, okay. So the cat, um, I, we don't know. We don't know why it's blood pressure is so crummy. It's also still essentially in a coma. So then it's just like brainstorming sessions, trying to figure out what's going on. So anytime a patient has just had major surgery and it's not doing well, one of the first things I think about is, is it bleeding? Yeah. Right? Like that just makes sense. You just cut it a bunch. You just cut it a bunch. Right? And so yes, in theory, you closed everything up and you, you tied off all the bleeders. But, you know, things Or if it were a TV wrong. show, it would be that there's a dish towel in there. <laughs> yes. Somebody was doing dishes. Glasses. Somebody's glasses. Yeah. Um, a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things like that. Um, that would be fun. Um, it, it actually wouldn't be fun, but... Have you, you ever heard of anything like that? Oh, yeah, yeah, That Not a cell phone or like a dish towel, but like, like... The sponges. Yeah, yeah. So usually you count in and count out. So when you start the surgery, before you even make the first incision in the patient, is you count individually how many lap sponges do we have, um, all of these types of things. They also, um, the surgical lap sponges, the, the um, yeah, the sponges, they have uh, usually a radiopaque um, 
uh, thread through them essentially. Oh, yeah. So, you so that if you took x-rays, you could be like, oh crap, there it is. Um, so it's usually pretty, if you're worried about something like that, usually they don't cause problems right away. They cause problems later. Um, but I, yeah, I know surgeons that have left things like that behind, left instruments behind. You take x-rays and like, oh, there's some hemostats. Whoops. Um, and I could, it's pretty, I, I'm surprised it doesn't happen more than it, than it does. Yeah. Honestly. It was a stressful situation and you want to get And everything's like big mushy goo. Like it's a big pink pillows of blood. Yeah. I've seen some of the pictures. It's terrible. <laughs> I don't even have that many bad pictures, but um, it's it can be really hard to see. And anyway, um, so it's a good thought. We didn't actually jump right to that just because I would expect that to cause problems later because mm-hmm. the things are sterile. So it's usually later on when the body's like, this is not supposed to be here. So we weren't really thinking that we left behind any instruments or, or um, lap sponges or anything. But um, the surgeon was like going through in her mind. She's like, okay, what did I interrupt? Did I mess with any nerves? Did I mess with any art? Like she was being a good surgeon and thinking like, what are some things I could yeah, have what done? Could it be? Right. Rather than being like, I didn't do anything wrong, um, which is what some people do. Who nobody knows. And she was like, what could it be going through in her head? And, and, you know, we were just spitballing ideas like back and forth. What, what about this? What about this? And we, we didn't know. Um, I still don't, but I have theories. So then it's like, okay, well, let's, let's try something. So, you know, we're, we're trying pressors. So we had the cat on a dopamine CRI at a pretty good dose. And then we started on a norepinephrine CRI and then increased that dose. Um, and um, just for everyone's benefit, if you ever are putting a patient on a presser, um, all of the vasopressors have a very short half-life, which is good and bad. It, it's good that, um, one, they'll start working very quickly and then they'll go away very quickly. You get, they get and what do pressors up. do again? Real quick? Um, they, they have different mechanisms, but generally... Generally speaking, the the group is to increase blood pressure. Okay. Usually by um, causing vasoconstriction, but um, it, it, it can be other mechanisms by increasing the heart rate or increasing contractility. Mm-hmm. It depends on the different form. But overall, we're trying to increase blood pressure. That's the main um, categorization here that we're talking about. You could about. have like the, the cat's mother-in-law come in. And that would yeah talk sometimes pain pain is a pressure that'll increase your blood pressure um so we're playing with these oh what i was saying about the the pressors they have a short half-life um but that means that you have to give them as a constant rate infusion as a cri but it also means that if it's working you'll know right away so if you measure the cat's blood pressure and it's crummy and you started on a presser um one you want to check the blood pressure in a few minutes after it's gotten it. Now, after it's gotten it is another tricky thing. So this cat had a short peripheral catheter in a front leg, and it also had a jugular catheter, so a longer catheter. And I always prefer to give pressors through a peripheral catheter because that catheter is short. Because we're giving these at like really small volumes. Um, so the rates are it, like they're usually running at like, say, a mil an hour or less. Okay. Which isn't very much. And you're like, okay, whatever. What's the big deal, Bobby? Well, the big deal is if you're giving it through, say, a jugular catheter where the priming volume, the entire volume of that catheter is, say, a mil or half a mil, um, and you're giving something at a mil per hour, it's going to take 30 minutes before that ever even gets into your patient, right? Because it has to, like, if you start right at the end of the catheter, not to mention, like, the priming volume of the rest of the line, which we usually just get it to that point. But if you give it through that catheter... And you give it and you wait for it to get through that entire volume. 30 minutes after you start the medication, your patient is finally getting the drug. 
well, this cat didn't have 30 minutes. So, um, like, so I try to give it through peripheral catheters if I can. And if not, I like to know what the actual volume is of the catheter, but this was placed elsewhere and I didn't, it wasn't written on there. And so I didn't know. So I had to do some guessing. So I had to like, like, we're going to do like a mini bolus. I'm going to try to, I'm like, guess what I think the volume of this catheter is. Cause I need this cat to get this drug now. Um, and there is a risk of like bolusing too much and causing like bad things like overdoing it long catheter it takes longer to stop it right um no, no it takes longer if you're gonna like change no no stopping it isn't a big deal unless you um like flush it out which don't do that um no because as soon as you stop it you stop pushing it in and you just it's not you're not mm-hmm. giving it anymore you could always pull it back to like remove anything that was left over in there but stopping it's not a problem it's really just starting it mm-hmm. um and then later if you want to increase the dose that happens right away because now the entire line is filled with the drug including the catheter lumen so I'm less worried about those things. It's just getting it started. I just, I, I, we don't have time to wait for it to fill up the catheter before it actually gets into the blood. So anyway, we were playing around with some of those things. So just some things to note that came up in this case that I was thinking about. I was like, oh yeah, people don't think about this stuff, but you got to think about this stuff in these types of cases. Um, so yeah, I had to do some guesswork bolusing, <laughs> mini tiny teeny boluses of, um, of pressers and things like that, just to make sure the cat was getting them. Um, and we just weren't really getting anywhere. Um, the other thing, this cat, what happens gotten, if you give too much of a presser? Does it the just heart have explodes. a heart attack? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't explode, but yeah, we can make it really, really tachycardic. We could, oh, we could overdo it. Essentially we can cause arrhythmias. Um, so I don't, I don't want to overdo it. The good news is if I overdo it just a little bit, it'll go away pretty quickly. Cause again, it has a really yeah. short half-life. Um, but I, I'd rather not push this cat's heart over the brink so at any rate we're um we're trying different things messing with the pressers um brainstorming other things the other um thing that had happened to this cat and you know when they were telling me about the anesthesia they were like oh it wasn't too bad you know it's a little low on the blood pressure we had it on dopamine well they were also giving a lot of fluid boluses um and reportedly it was when they would give a fluid bolus it its blood pressure would improve so over the course of anesthesia and the time that this cat, like before it came to our ICU, it had gotten 600 milliliters of fluid. Now, the entire cat... Which is 0.6 kilograms. Yes, 0.6 kilograms. So almost as much as the whole tumor itself. Um, So a cat's entire blood volume is about 60 mils per kilo. So um, in in a six kilogram cat... Um, yeah, it, it, dogs, they say 90 cats. It's like, I don't really know. Even if it was 90, 90 mils per kilo. So 90 times six, last I checked is about 540 mils, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. So we gave, even at a super high estimate of this cat's blood, we gave more than this cat's entire blood volume in a matter of a quarter of a day, which is a lot. I would argue too much. Um, Mm -hmm. so I do think, so, and this cat was, um, the, the technical term for it is flubby. (laughs) It's not a technical term at all. Um, but this cat was squishy. It was, um, it seemed very fluid overloaded. And so I was worried about the effects of this. So we're doing like, um, abdominal point of care ultrasound, looking at, um, the, the intestines, which weren't doing anything. This cat seemed to have a generalized ileus, which is something we can see with fluid overload. I was worried about kidney function, both because of the poor blood pressure, but also because if we're causing fluid overload and renal edema, that would be an issue. I was worried about potentially, is that impacting heart function? So I was looking at all these things. I did see evidence of ileus. I thought that the heart subjectively was looking like its contractility looked okay when I was doing just a ultrasound of the heart. Um, so I'm, but I'm just trying to figure out like, what are all the things that are going on? But this cat was like pretty fluid overloaded. 
but it was also fluid responsive. So I get where that happened, why that happened. They're like, but every time we do this, the blood pressure gets better. So we just have to give more. So they had also started giving some synthetic colloids, um, which I'm not a huge fan of um, for just because of all the literature and people that say that they're probably bad um, or at least not good. Um, and and what, so, is that to like replace the water? So what, to what replace the water, um, colloids versus crystalloids, colloids have larger molecules that in theory are going to stay in the vessels longer. Because um, anytime you give fluids, you give them into the intravascular space, but a portion of them are going to leak out into the interstitium. And that's appropriate. We take mm-hmm. advantage of that sometimes. But um, but you're like, but I want it to stay in the blood vessels. And sometimes it doesn't. So in theory, if you give colloids, it'll stay in the blood vessels longer. Mm-hmm. But oh, I think they had a thing like that on... Um, how I shrunk the kids, honey, I shrunk the kids too. <laughs> they wanted to make it so that, um, uh, road workers would glow in the dark, but, um, they would give them the fluid and it would just stay in their belly. So then they like mixed it with like a milk type thing and then it would go throughout their body. Is that, that is exactly what I'm talking about? Yeah? I have no idea what you're talking about. No, that's the most obscure reference. <laughs> not honey, I shrunk been, the kids. Honey, I not shrunk ha- the kids three. <laughs> Which I wasn't even aware that was a thing. I saw the first one in the... Th- I saw Honey, I Shrunk the Kids in the theater. It was a birthday the party. Too. I don't know if you were born yet. No, you would have been born, but you would have been a baby. You wouldn't have seen it in the theater. I think I was in third grade. Yeah. I think it went. It was like a birthday party. I think it was in third grade. Oh, oh wait. Do you have your phone handy? No, I don't. I want... Hang on. Yours is right behind you. I need to know what year this came out now. Okay. I'm going to say it Here, came out... Oh, you are always good at oh, this. It came out in 89. 89? That could be right. That sounds right. Um, I'm going to say 90. Honey, sorry. Sorry, guys. Um, (laughs) These kind of things happen. (laughs) Honey, I shrunk the kids. Came out in. Drum roll, please. You're so good at 1989. Yeah. How do you remember? Like, you were four. Yeah. That's not a thing. you, You didn't know. You were four years old. Okay. So I was eight. And yeah, saw it as like it was a it was a birthday party. Um, a friend's birthday party, slumber party, in fact. Mm-hmm. And we went and saw that movie in the theaters. Um, and there was nothing about anybody's bellies growing in the dark. No, because it was, so it was definitely in a one. second or third one. But anyway, <laughs> um, I have no idea what that was about. And it doesn't sound anything like what I was talking oh, about. Okay, sorry. Continue. <laughs> not, well, maybe not nothing. But yeah, no, I don't think that's going to be helpful. <laughs> but it was a fun little detour. You keep leading me astray. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I don't remember where we were. You were talking about uh, giving and in crystalloids. Fluid, yeah, the yeah, yeah, I got a lot of crystalloids. Yeah, 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 I don't want to talk too much about crystalloids versus colloids. And are those, we could do, oh. like, what's the regular fluid that you crystalloids. use? Crystalloids. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're so gonna be, now, those come in, there's different ways to categorize fluids, but the vast majority of things that we're using are crystalloids. Okay. Colloids are something separate. Like, you say, you say fluid sometimes, and you say crystalloids, and you say colloids. And yeah, default. Crystalloids and colloids are fluids. They're all fluids, yeah. The default, when I say fluids, I'm usually talking about crystalloids. Yeah. Um, I'll, because I'll probably specify if I'm saying yeah. um, colloids. But there's different types. There's synthetic colloids, which are thumbs down, generally speaking. Um, not that they're, you can never use them, but I never use them. Uh, then, then you have um, natural colloids like blood, blood products, plasma, mm-hmm. whole blood, things like that. Um, so we did end up giving the cat some plasma because I was like, I'm worried about the amount of crystalloids this cat is giving or that we're giving this cat. Um, but I also gave it some furosemide, which is a diuretic to try to get the cat to pee out all the extra water it had been getting all day. Um, but the is there a way that you can kind of like drain the cat um, without it peeing? Dialysis. Oh, okay. That's not so, an option. Yeah. So yes, there is a way. Was there a way we had available to us? No. Um, but it's yeah, not an easy way. No, there's certainly it's not, not an just easy like, way. Oh, yeah, just, just 
Yeah. Stab it if in, it has it an effusion, yes. Like if it has free fluid in the belly, we talk about free fluid, ascites mm-hmm. or effusion or pleural effusion. Yes, you can drain that. But this is this is fluid that is just everywhere. It's inside yeah. the tissues, inside the cells, just in needs between to work the cells. Out some. Yes. And the body just needs to pee it out. Um, fortunately, this cat still seemed to have working kidneys. So I gave it some furosemide. Um, and what else did we do? So basically there was a short period of time. Well, not, yeah, it was a fairly short period of time, but this cat looked terrible. And so I'm working with a surgeon. I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I've, I'm looking for specific causes and I can't find a specific, like, aha, this is the problem. So then it just becomes trial and error. So we put it on pressors that wasn't seeming to work. Um, we tried a cotyloid that didn't seem to work. Um, then I was like, oh, we can try some other things. So I gave it some furosemide. Not that I thought that was going to fix everything, but I was like, I think that needs to happen because this cat is fluid overloaded and I can't draw a direct line between the fluid overload and the current problems, but I I can draw a line to all sorts of new problems that'll happen if we, if we allow this to continue. So I gave it some furosemide to get it peeing again or peeing lots more and quicker. Um, and then we debated about giving it blood um, because the cat's hematocrit had its PCV had dropped from pre-op to post-op. However, it had gotten fluid overloaded. And so I think a lot of the drop in PCV in total solids was iatrogenic, was like we caused that. I'm sure it lost some blood. Of course it did. It had surgery. You lose some blood. Iatrogenic, is that a... Uh, that means doctor caused. It's a... Uh... It's like I screwed up. I yeah, that's what iatrogenic. Latin means. for that. It's Latin for I screwed this one up. Yeah. yeah, it's iatrogenic was caused by the medical care team. So anyhow, um, so then the interesting parts about this is I am talking to the surgeon and pretty much anything I suggest, she's like, try it. <laughs> like I don't, I don't know. Yeah, go for it. She's she's great. I love working with her. Um, but um, the other thing, and I, I don't think there's any literature out there. There's no science behind this. This is 100% anecdotal. Um, but um, when I was trained, one of my um, mentors said that sometimes in cats, they seem to just not really respond to norepinephrine, which is like the go-to presser um, that like they'll use in people and that we tend to use in dogs. And he's like, sometimes you just need to use epinephrine, um, which is going to do the same thing essentially. And the body makes both. Um, but he's like, cats, I think just seem to respond better to epinephrine. So I was like... I was like, hey, talking to the surgeon, maybe we should just try switching to epinephrine and just see. Um, And she was like, yep, try it, whatever. Um, So we were doing that. And then I said, okay, this cat's not septic. It can't be septic. It hasn't had time to become septic. So even if they left like a mountain of bacteria in the belly, there wasn't time for a true like, like an infection Mm -hmm. can't build up. The body has to respond to that. Yeah, this is like hours after surgery. And so it's not septic, but I was like, I don't know. We have this thing where in in septic patients, if they're not responding to pressors, um, they might have like a relative adrenal insufficiency or they keep changing that is Cersei or whatever. They have different acronyms for it. But basically the adrenal glands aren't um, responding the way they should and they're not producing um, cortisol or steroids. And so I was like, we can try giving it a dose of steroids, just like a, a physiologic dose of steroids. We can, she's like, yeah, try it, try it. So it's kind of like in a very short period of time, we were trying everything. So we gave, I gave the cat some furosemide. We gave it some plasma. Um, I gave it um, a dose of uh, steroids, dexamethasone, because that's what we had handy. And I switched it from norepinephrine to epinephrine. And one of those things, because that'll happen literally within a matter of minutes, because when, you know, patients are trying to die, you don't want to wait an hour and see how that one worked. And then let's yeah. try another thing and wait an hour. Because like, oh, it died three times. Like, it, you, we, we didn't want that to happen. So we were just trying everything. It's not my favorite way to do stuff, but you gotta. Uh, something in there seemed to start to work. Um or not, or it was all coincidence and we just got lucky, which is actually a real possibility. One of the things I think in this cat, so I mentioned at the beginning that this was kind of a chubby cat. Um, and by chubby, I mean, it was overweight. 
and it had a lot of fat. And um, there are certain drugs that are lipophilic, meaning they like to hang out in the fat tissues. And um, anesthetic drugs are among those. Um, and so this cat was under anesthesia for like six hours, meaning all of the anesthesia was like distributing throughout the body and going to the fat, which is good because the brain is is mostly fat. And so we, we want it to be that way. Like there's a reason most anesthetic drugs are lipophilic. It's because we want them to get to the brain to shut it down so that we can do what we need to do without causing excruciating pain. Um, but then it can build up and build up and build up. And so part of this, I suspect, was a buildup. So even when we turn the gas off, um, we're not pushing more gas and more anesthesia into this cat, but it's like, it's cool. We got our own supply now. We're, we're, we're good. So I suspect at least to some degree, this cat was still anesthetized. I don't think that was the whole thing, but I think that was part of it. And so I think it just needed a lot, you know, it it just needed longer to recover. It needed a long time to recover. And all that anesthesia can cause vasodilation, um, which can lower blood pressure. And so I do think it was multifactorial. And so some of it could have just been like good luck and coincidence that, um, you know, maybe it was switching to the epinephrine. I I suspect that had a real effect, but I don't know for sure. And I can't prove it. Um, But I think I also suspect it was a combination of more of the anesthesia was getting out of the cat system. Um, When you switch from the uh, norepinephrine to epinephrine do you just like stop one start the yep. other one or do you have to yep. do nope. something in between i stopped one and started the other one yeah. and then i had to give that little mini bolus um because i was i wanted it to get there mm-hmm. um and so yeah then we um i was like i was telling the surgeon i'm like i'm out of ideas like i've literally thrown everything i can think of at this cat um, we, we started a blood transfusion too because we were like well i don't know what else um so as we were starting that was um uh, when we'd just kind of done the other things or getting the blood together and we started the blood. And um, so I told her, I was like, you should go home. You've been working for like 17 hours or something stupid today. I was like, go home. You know, um, this is all I can come up with. Let's see what happens. We had a plan for here's what's going to happen. Here's what, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to adjust the drugs. And we talked to the intern that was going to be there and had a plan. So I was like, we're good. And she was like, okay, let's check the blood pressure one more time before we leave. So we check it again and it had started to come up um, and they had just hooked up the, the red blood cell transfusion. So I felt comfortable. It wasn't the four cells that they cat had gotten at that point so i was like okay that's the only thing i feel like didn't help Um, but all of the other things we did i was like maybe one of those things are you know more likely a combination of things but the blood pressure was a little bit better um and i was like okay all right we're heading in the right direction this is exciting um so i was like go home and get some rest i'm gonna go home and get some rest as well um we had our call parameters and um i got i think i only got one more call the rest of the night um and I'll be honest, I left and I was not going to be surprised if that cat died overnight. Like it was not going to surprise, not what I was hoping for. And, you know, we worked really hard trying to make that not happen. Because um, this was a cat that was feeling pretty good. Other than having like a giant tumor friend mm-hmm. um, slowing it, slowing her down a little bit, she was having a good life. Um, so it would be really disappointing to lose this cat. Um, but the next morning it was like, oh, her blood pressure is kind of holding. She's doing okay. And, um, and... She, over the next couple of days, just like steadily improved. She started eating the, like not the next day after surgery, like the day after that, the morning after that she did, but her, we got her off of the blood pressure medications the following morning. Um, like, and she, I mean, she took a hit. Uh, I was worried her kidneys were going to be toast. We checked her blood the next day and her kidneys were not toast. They probably took a little hit. Um, but like to the point where, it was increased from where it had been before, but not outside the normal range. So the kidneys were, you know, holding their own. Um, this is a tough cat. Oh, by the way, she was apparently also a mean cat. Um, and mm-hmm. mean cats live forever. Um, so I knew she had that going for her, which was cool. Not that I'm superstitious, but just mean cats, man. 
be a mean cat. You're going to live forever. Um, I was like, just bite one person, one person, and you're going to pull through. (laughs) (laughs) But um, so anyhow, over the next few days, she just like steadily improved. She she wasn't using her back legs normally. And I think that was like a combination of maybe we messed with some nerves when we were removing the tumor. Plus she didn't have blood flow. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't have good blood flow in that period after surgery. So I don't really know. She had motor. She was moving them. She just didn't have a lot of strength. Um, But yeah, we sent her home several days later. I don't know, three, four days later. Um, Owner, one of the owners is like, has medical experience. And so we sent her home with like still needing some nursing care, but she was eating and peeing and getting around reasonably well. And so that was like a really exciting win, you know, to have a case that's like trying really pretty hard to die. Um, and those are frustrating because you, you don't have time to do all the diet. You can't, and they wouldn't help you anyway. So you just it's have to like try too. Cause like the cat is essentially fine yeah. when it comes in. I know it just has, a, a funny lump. He's got a friend. Yeah. It was a big lump though. Lump feels, doesn't do it justice. <laughs> it was a friend. I was one that we joked about that. I was like, maybe she's just really upset about losing her friend. Yeah. Um, so I, I, sorry if you guys thought I was going to be able to give you some answers about what was going on with this cat. I don't know. I have theories. Um, but my general rule of thumb is I don't really care if they get better. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, I want to know academically. It's great to know like, Oh, this was the specific problem, but I don't know what that is. I'm never going to know what that is. And I don't care because the cat got to go home. So yay. Win. Yeah. The only, probably the only way for you to know is the cat doesn't go home. If it doesn't go home and then we can and do a necropsy. Yeah. But even then I bet even if we'd done a necropsy, we wouldn't have known exactly what was going on. I mean like, Oh yeah. It turns out the cat had really bad blood pressure. <laughs> like, yeah, we know. <laughs> I want to know why. Um, so we'll find out in the coming, you know, days, weeks, what the tumor was. Um, but I suspect it's going to be a benign tumor. I hope so. Gosh, I hope so after all this. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was, a, that was a pretty exciting win for this week because it was a couple of hours there working on that cat where it was like, I don't know how this is going to go. And I was feeling increasingly pessimistic. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, something worked. Um, so I'm generally not a fan of the like treat it for everything and hope something helps. But when they're dying, you sometimes got to do that. So yeah. Um, yeah, so that was the case. It was pretty fun. I mean, you remember because I left and went back into work for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> it was okay but if i'm gonna do that at least we can save the patient right yeah you know so Topher gets mad at me if i go in outside of hours and then i don't save the patient so mm-hmm. um it's really important that i continue to do this once in a while <laughs> all right well thank you for listening and if you have cases a really cool case that you want to come on the show and talk about just send us an email to veterinaryjournalclub at gmail.com otherwise you can follow us on twitter or instagram at vet journal club i think that Yep, that's all right. And and then on the, like, if you get the podcast from the website, there's a thing that you can click to comment or something. Yeah, click the the comment thing. Yeah. Bye, guys. Bye.